Welcome in to the newest edition of the Justin Time Sports Podcast. I am your host and owner, Justin Jackson. And as always, don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, but most specifically iTunes and Spotify. And also, don't forget to follow and turn on the post notifications for the Justin Time Sports social media. You will get that on all social media handle, uh, all social media types rather, at J Time Sports. I repeat, at J Time Sports. That's on your Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Now, if you're a returning customer and a returning listener, you already know what I'm about to say. But if you're new here, sit back and get ready to learn something. Justin Time Sports Podcast. I am your owner and host, Justin Jackson. Welcome into the show. I'm excited to be here. As you guys know, I'm excited to be here every time I get on this microphone and record uh, so I can put out more content to you guys, get you guys some more sports knowledge. I'll let you guys know my thoughts on things without any bias or agenda. I don't, I'm not upholding to main media's agenda that need to be pushed because I have no ownership besides myself. And so I'll give you guys as unfiltered and as unbiased as I possibly can in terms of what I'm seeing, in terms of what I'm feeling, in terms of how everything I think will shake out. Um, So I try to give it to you guys as straight as possible um, without having to deal with any of the other nonsense, political politics nonsense. All right. So this is a late night recording session for me. Um, Normally I record sometime in mid-afternoon. Right now I'm recording pretty much into the night, so my standing is going to be a little off. Um, you guys are here this Thursday morning. Uh, as always, I'm recording Wednesday night. So the standing may be a little off from what you actually see in the next morning. But entering today's games, I'm saying I'm going to say to you is we're entering today's games. Um, we're going to start off in the NBA as always. During the NBA season, we're going to start off there. Um, so we're entering today's games out east, or out west rather. Um, we have Denver, Memphis who lost tonight to the Clippers. Uh, Kings, Suns, who I'm watching right now, battle the Timberwolves. Uh, Clippers at five, Warriors at six. So that would be the um, automatic playoffs. The Warriors had a hell of a win. Um, Disappointingly to me, they had a hell of a comeback win against the Pelicans. Um, And and we're going to touch on that a little later. Um, But again, it's Denver, Memphis, Sacramento, Phoenix, Clippers, uh, again, he just got a big win over the uh, Grizzlies. And then Warriors um, as the top six. Warriors, Kings, the only playoff. Warriors, Kings, Suns, Clippers will be the first round right now. In the playing tournament, you have Timberwolves, like I said, who's currently playing the Suns right now. Keep my eye on that game while I record this. Uh, Pelicans, who had a war against the Warriors. Again, we'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. Uh, Lakers, who just beat the Bulls tonight, so they didn't lose any ground. Um... And then Thunder at 10. So 7 through 10 is two games back. Two game, two losses difference uh, from 6. Then the Mavericks, who lost tonight against the 76ers, so they actually pick up another L. Uh, they are officially tied in the loss column with the Utah Jazz. 
out east, you have Bucks who had a ridiculous game. We'll talk about them in a few minutes as well. Um, Celtics at number two, 76ers who just beat the Mavs. They're at number three. Uh, Cavs at four. Uh, they were square off in the first round against the Knicks at five. Um, and then the uh, Brooklyn Nets are still holding on to the sixth seed. Um, so that'd be the playoffs right now. It'd be 76ers and Nets along with Cavs and Knicks in the first round. The playing tournament consists of the Miami Heat, one loss back from six. The Atlanta Hawks and uh, three losses back from six. The Toronto Raptors at nine, also three losses back from six. And the Chicago Bulls, who just took another L, but they're still sitting 10th. They are five losses back uh, now from sixth. Um, and then the teams on the outside looking in for both conferences in the West, you have the Mavericks, like I said, who just took an L. Uh, I've talked talk about the West, I'm sorry. I'm going to move to the East. Uh, the Wizards are, are seven losses back, and the Pacers are eight or nine losses back now. The Pacers are out. Um, nine losses back with... Uh, nine losses back from sixth. So they're only four, five losses. I mean, they're pretty much out. Five losses back with six games left. They're pretty much done. Um, and the Wizards are clinging. They're two games back with um, anywhere from six to eight games left in the season, depending on what teams you're with. Um, and they've got some decisions to make. Um, but we're going to start off with, um, in the NBA, we're going to talk about the Warriors and the Pelicans battle. Um, so I'm a Pelicans fan. My wife's a Warriors fan. Um, so there's always a very contentious situation in the household, in the Jackson house, whenever the Warriors and the Pelicans play. Um, and then the game got chippy, so that kind of brought out the competitive, the c- competitive sides of both of us. Um, it was interesting, man. It was interesting. Uh, the Warriors, the Warriors, obviously with Angel Wiggins for personal reasons. There's some nasty rumors going around Twitter. Um, I'm not even gonna go into that. It's not sourced. It's not confirmed. It's been denied by certain people. I'm not going to go into that. Um, if you want to find out what the rumor is, and I'm going to emphasize it is a rumor, um, go on Twitter yourself and look some stuff up. Again, I, it's a nasty rumor. I'm not going to engage in it. Um, but if, again, if you're interested in it, go look on Twitter. Um, and then the Pelicans, of course, were without their best player, Zion Williamson. Um, and being a Pelicans fan, it hurts to have Zion Williamson sometimes. But without their best player in Zion, um, with a hamstring injury, pulled against Philly a couple of months ago. Um, they had a setback in his recovery. Chris Haynes reported, though, during the game, right around second quarter, that he's on the court, he's doing on-court activities, he's doing rigorous workouts, and he was vocal in the locker room about his pleasure, or rather non, or rather displeasure, um, or rather displeasure with the uh, New Orleans Pelicans and their effort and how they were playing, legitimately playing without him. Uh, he showed he was vocal about it, which everybody on the team, uh, everybody on the team perked up at Zion's voice. The reason why is not because Zion was the best player. Okay, you, you, you've earned the right to critique. Usually, when a player is injured, they don't really say much about effort. They don't really say much about the on on the on the court action because, well, they're injured. They can't really contribute uh, to the on court action, so they usually don't say much about it. Um, so that's that was that was unique. But what was also unique was Zion doesn't talk ever. Um, he's notoriously reticent. And so he, you know, he speaks to the media. He's very kind to the media. He's, he's always had that billion-dollar smile. 
He's always been very kind to the media, very open with the media, um, as open as he can be. You can tell he definitely has PR training, but he's always been very kind to the media. He'll talk to the media. But in terms of speaking up in a locker room, I remember when he was training or rehabbing in Portland. Um, he was rehabbing and pulling away from the team. CJ McCollum got gets traded to the Pelicans. And they end up asking CJ like a month later. He finally had an interview. And they asked him like a month later, like, you know, what is your communication with Zion? How is that talk? How are those talks been going? Etc. And he says, I haven't spoken to him. And that was like a month uh, into CJ McCollum's reign or CJ McCollum's uh, tenure into the Pelicans. He had not spoken to the team's best player. Uh, Zion is usually notoriously reticent and quiet. Um, and so the fact that um, so the fact that he was able to not only speak up, the fact that he was able to be heard and be listened to has to encourage him. And to me, to me, it showed a different side of the Pelicans. It showed that the pecking order is being decided. CJ is the veteran leader. He's third in command, though. Brandon Ingram may be the, the best, most consistent player. He's second in command. It's Zion's team. Um, Zion speaks everyone's listening. He doesn't speak often. It's sort of like um, I remember Kenny Smith was talking about Hakeem Olajuwon. How Hakeem didn't really speak a lot. Um, or even more specifically, Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Kareem didn't say a lot. So when Kareem said something, he listened because he felt the need to say it. And it's kind of what I kind of take from Zion Williamson. Zion doesn't say much. So if he goes out of his way in a meeting or in a film room or whatever to openly question the effort and the intensity of the team, you listen. Because he's he's seeing something, well, be it injured, he's seeing something that he does not he does not like. Again, he's notoriously reticent, notoriously quiet. He doesn't say a whole lot um, in terms of that, that leadership role. He's a jokester, he's a prankster, he loves the media, etc. But in terms of that leadership role, he's usually from all reports, not like that. And so the fact that he spoke up, Chris Haynes even said it. The team listened. It was one of those moments like, oh, you know, oh, bleak, Zion speaking. And not only speaking, he's speaking in his manner. And so that was big for the Pelicans off the court. But back on the court, the Pelicans were up, rolling. They were pretty comfortable. They were going to run away with the game. They were up 10 or 12. Um, And then Brandon Ingram goes for a fast break. After Draymond, I believe, didn't get a foul call he was looking for or something. He runs Ingram off the ground. It was like how you off the, off the floor, like the rest of it off the road, like get into him and bump him off a little bit. Ingram's going on a fast break. Draymond makes no attempt on the ball. He just shoulder, quickly shoulder in the uh, Ingram shoulder, runs him off the ball. Ingram gets up and has some words for Draymond. A couple pushes fly, some words are exchanged. Both teams run into the pile. Um, and double text are assessed Draymond and Brandon Ingram. Right after that, the Pelicans go on a quick little 6-8-0 run and go up 17 points. Right around this time, the uh, C.J. McCollum, or Draymond, comes down the court, gets a charge against, um, gets a charge against Herb Jones. Um, As he's falling to the ground, kind of crawling away, Draymond inadvertently or advertently or whatever, hits, um, Hits Draymond, hits Herb Jones rather in the head about three times with his feet. Herb got up, said some words. Again, both teams run into it. Um, Draymond gets taken out. The very next player, one of the next few plays, CJ McCollum runs through Dante DiVincenzo's chest about as hard. I mean, 
a la Kobe Bryant, Pau Gasol in the uh, 08 Olympics. I mean, just full speed into uh, into the chest of Dante DiVincenzo. I mean, a full head of steam. That was awesome award as a flagrant foul, just like Draymond's incident was, but also sparked the Warriors. It kind of gave them an intensity they were looking for. And so over the course of the rest of the game, the Warriors make up a 20-point difference, end up winning by double digits or near double digits, 30-point um, swing, basically. And the Warriors win. Draymond Green cited CJ McCollum's talking as the as the as the talking point, as a as the key point, the change of the game, the change of the flow was CJ McCollum's uh, chirping. And so he cited that. I'm sure that did not make Pelicans fans happy. Actually, I know it did. I talked to some of Pelicans fans. They were very upset with CJ after what Draymond said. But I reminded them that's Draymond's job. His job is to be a pest. His job is to annoy. His job is to sow seeds of dissension. CJ McCollum is on the team to be a leader and to be a vocal person. So if you can take away his ability to connect and be vocal and stick up for his teammates, you severely undermine the Pelicans and the Pelicans locker room. So Draymond was simply sowing, simply sowing seeds of the of dissension into the Pelicans locker room. But it was an absolutely great game. Um, uh, Trey Murphy is like real. Herb Jones' defense is real. Brandon Ingram, of course, is that guy. Um, you already know what's going on with Golden State um, with Steph, Clay, and Dre. Side note, quickly. <clears throat> the Warriors, a couple years ago, Draymond mentioned on his podcast, I think last year, that the Warriors were trying to basically, what I call, thread a gym rope through a needle. They were trying to be old and young at the same time. They were trying to win a championship with Steph, Clay, Dre, um, uh, what's his name, Kevon Looney, Iguodala, you know, the rest of the crew. They were trying to win a championship doing that while simultaneously developing Moody, Wiseman, and Kaminga, um, and Jordan Poole, because they got, you know, they got those picks for being bad and with injuries, and so they were trying to. Um, Keep the uh, keep the present going and build for the future simultaneously. <clears throat> that experiment's already gone awry um, because you've already you, you Jordan Poole is Jordan Poole, but you've already traded Wiseman. Moody sucks at basketball, from all I can tell. And Kaminga, I don't see the jump. I don't see the development. So I just don't get um, the strategy or the plan for the Golden State Warriors. But hey. Um, I'll be definitely I'll be definitely watching to see if they can somehow develop their youth and have their um, old guys go try and win a title. Uh, ben Simmons has been officially shut down by the Brooklyn Nets. Um, he was diagnosed over the past week with a nerve impingement in his back, um, and it was reported then that the two sides, his and the Nets, were trying to figure out what was the best plan of treatment for him. Um, he actually. Um, split ways with Clutch Sports, um, who's been his agent since he got in the league, um, which is the agent you know that LeBron's in and linked to Shadow Operating, um, but Rich Paul's agency recently parted ways with Ben, um, and so Ben's been dealing with his back a lot. Um, pretty much popped up a few years ago. He's been dealing with it ever since. Look, back's no joke. Ask Michael Porter Jr. Michael Porter Jr. had issues in high school. He had issues in college. Now I got issues in the league. And it looks like Ben Simmons' situation had um, avoided his high school career at Mount Verde, his, co- his collegiate year, 
at LSU and it's popping up now in the NBA. But um, you know, he's a legitimate player. He's a legitimate all defense, legitimate all NBA, legitimate all star type talent. It's just physically he's starting to break down. Who knows what his mental state is like. Um, and so that is something that I have to keep our eye on, which has been Simmons. Um, Bradley Bills on the investigation for potential like assault for knocking the hat off a fan who was talking noise to him. Um, so that is something we're going to have to keep our eye on there. And then the Hall of Fame class of 2023 was announced. Um, is longtime NBA veteran Dwayne Wade, Dallas Mavericks legend Dirk Nowitzki, San Antonio Spurs head coach Greg Popovich, um, longtime Laker multi-champion Kobe Bryant, but I'll start off with the Grizzlies, Pau Gasol, uh, Spur- San Antonio Spurs legend again, Tony Parker, and former San Antonio Spurs assistant coach, current Las Vegas Aces head coach, um, and WNBA legend herself, uh, Becky Hammond, rounds out the class. So very impressive class going into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame in Springfield. Um, very, very impressive class. Side note, you guys know what's interesting about the NBA before I switch topics and take a little break? The Dallas Mavericks are the microcosm of poor team building. Hear me out. The Dallas Mavericks issue was a never offense. They could score. They had Luka. You had Luka, Shooters, Christian Wood, Tim Hardaway Jr., Reggie Bullock, Maxi Kleber, Josh Green. Uh, you, last year you had Jalen Brunson. Like, their issue was never offense. Their issue was defense, in my opinion, and star power. So now you increase your star power, you get a lot more offense, in theory. I mean, person for person, Brunson, you know, doesn't score like Kyrie, but you get more offense, but you lose so much. Um, if you did that offline, because Dallas could turn around and lose Kyrie Irving this summer for absolutely nothing. He's an unrestricted free agent. He has made no commitments to the franchise, and even if he did, do you really believe a Kyrie Irving commitment? I know I don't. Been burned by that a couple times watching it happen. I don't necessarily believe a Kyrie Irving commitment. Um, so that is... Um, the situation in Dallas, they're in dire straits right now. So we're going to definitely keep our eye on that situation. Oh, one more thing. Remember I said a few weeks ago, or maybe last week, couple anyway, I said before, that people are going to start targeting Sacramento. Like, that seems to be the weak spot in the Western top six. Like, people are going to want to get you sack. Now it's been reported by ESPN and other places that people are looking at the Kings, and that sixth spot is the, people, is the spot people are trying to get to. Um, to play the King because I think the Kings are weak. They, you know, they had this big almost celebration about 17 years after, after 17 years finally making the playoffs, and then it didn't happen. Now they're gonna make the playoffs. They're gonna make the playoffs. The Kings are gonna be in the playoffs, but then it didn't happen, and you had this sad aura over the arena. You know, it's kind of like they had to put the champagne back up. I'm sure that was not actual champagne, but whatever celebration blowout party that was expected along the streets didn't happen. It was just a, it was a sad moment um, for the city in general, but you know, people are looking at the Kings now as that target. So right now they get the Warriors. The Warriors win that series in five. Uh, if it's the Lakers or the Pelicans, kind of, the Pelicans or the Lakers win that series in six. Like no one's worried about the Kings 
Um, but the Wiz could play their advantage. But at the moment, I don't see anybody I'm worried about. But up next, we're going to shift to the NFL and talk about what's going on with the shit. Russell Westbrook had a hell of a game tonight. I know we're in the NFL segment. Russ West, Russell, Russell Westbrook got to give credit where credit is due. Had a hell of a game tonight. And also Milwaukee Bucks do well with Giannis Antetokounmpo and Drew Holiday. That, that has to be historic. I, I haven't seen the stats um, breakdown of how historic that is. But Drew Holiday finished with 51-8-8. Career high for Drew Holiday scoring 51. He also, like I said, had eight rebounds and eight assists. And then Giannis uh, finished with 38.17 rebounds and 12 assists. That has to be some sort of record. Uh, 30, 15, and 10 isn't a very popular stat line. It's only happened, um, not counting Wilt, like 30 times in NBA history. So to do that and have a teammate score 50, let, let alone 55 and 5 or whatever they want to you know, break it down into, has to be the first thing of its kind. I haven't seen the breakdown acknowledging that it is, but that has to be the first stat line like that of its kind but back to the topic at hand back to the nfl or starting the nfl i should say um we're gonna start off with everyone's popular subject what i did my special on what you guys did great interaction with i appreciate that um lamar jackson going on his situation so if you didn't listen to the special uh lamar jackson tweeted that he requested a trade on march 2nd uh, he loves the fan base. Uh, go follow his fan page that he believes that the Ravens are basically at this point refusing to pay him what he believes he is worth and his market value. Um, so that has led him to become very public on Twitter. And I kind of ran through some of his previous incidents on Twitter, whether it's kind of t- referring to his guaranteed contract and how much he was given and by Ravens off, which is $103 million. Where does that rank? Um, as far as other quarterbacks in the league. Again, if you want those details, please go back to the Lamar Jackson trade request special, which came out, well, this comes this come out Thursday, so that came out Tuesday um, for you guys to definitely listen to that so that you can know what's going on with Lamar, or at least the past incidents with Lamar and kind of catching up and putting things into context. Now, again, because he has been on Twitter lately kind of exposing things, he's been a lot more free. Um, he's tweeting now he's kind of clapping back at people referring to his injuries um, Arthur Blank owner of the Atlanta Falcons basically was brought up what's the difference between Lamar and Deshaun Watson uh, paraphrasing Arthur Blank brought up how the situations are different true and he kind of referenced Lamar's injury history small problem the person they used was Deshaun Watson who had 27 sexual assault allegations and two torn ACLs at the time, or two previously 20 ACLs at the time that Atlanta was willing to offer him $180 million guaranteed, fully guaranteed, plus to come to Atlanta. Interesting. But Lamar Jackson, with no major injury history and no allegations, a squeaky clean off the field record, you have no interest in? Interesting. Um, 
you kind of see that around the league. The Saints went Derek Carr after being on Deshaun Watson. Atlanta Falcons seem to be going Desmond Ritter after being all in on um, Deshaun Watson. Washington is in an interesting position. We'll talk about them in a second. They may end up on, on Lamar Jackson later, but I don't. At the moment, they're kind of in an untenable position in terms of offering big money contracts. The Indianapolis Colts could be waiting until after the draft. Um, so there is a lot of stuff going on with Lamar. Um, personally, now that, you know, again, we talked about it in the special, there's chatter. He should get an agent. He should get an agent. I don't think he should get an agent. I do think he should get a lawyer. Um, I do think he should get someone to come in, even if he signs, like I say, he signs a Cliff Sports Football Division. You, you can do that for literally one contract. His endorsements have been going fine, etc. You hire on somebody to review the contract. You cut him 3% of your deal, and you move on. He doesn't, you know what I'm saying, if you don't want to have a full-time agent for all your endorsements and all your media appearances, etc., then you don't have to have that. But, you know, I believe that it could help. Um, I believe that it could help in this situation having a lawyer, even in the process of having someone to field your calls or be able to make those calls. Say, hey, Lamar wants this. He's looking for this. Um, Are you able to provide um, said thing? You know, it's just somebody to hear be the middleman. Now, it's not an agent. It's more, like I said, it's more of a representative. It's just somebody that can feel. He's a hell of a secretary. Someone that can feel the calls, place the calls that the NFLPA would allow to be called and the owners would allow to call. So I said a, a trusted lawyer. But, like, uh, you know, like he's a hell of a secretary. Field them, make the calls, bring back to Lamar the pertinent information, take to the team the pertinent information from Lamar's side, and just do it that way. Um, but he does not need an agent. What I would like for Lamar to do, though, I know he's on his fight the narrative thing. And he's, you know, he clapped back at people talking about his injuries. He shot back at people talking about his commitments to the game. Um, and Deion Sanders even quoted, like, man, you ain't got to spend, you, you know, you're wasting your time correcting these fools. Like, it's not worth it in terms of you're going to put yourself potentially in mental danger trying to clap back at everyone on Twitter with a voice. And it's just not going to, it's not going to be a productive situation. So I hope he does dial it back in terms of how he's tweeting so openly about um, the situation. Now, I do want him to tell us what the contract was. I do want him to tell us what the Ravens offer was because no one knows that. Lamar Jackson tweeted three years, $103 million, fully guaranteed, but I'm not sure if that's guaranteed the first three years of the deal, if that's the whole contract they wouldn't go three for 103. Like, what? I don't know what the situation is. But he needs to tell the details of the Ravens contract. Um, Adam Schefter said $250 million with $175 guaranteed he gets injured. So, you know, it seems like a lot of the media reporting surrounding the Ravens contract offer comes from main media who needs to protect the Ravens, not necessarily just Lamar. And it definitely sounds like the Ravens are the one feeding these uh, reporters ammunition and feeding these reporters their information, which of course is going to be counterintuitive to anything Lamar wants to get done. So if I'm Lamar Jackson, that is one thing I do. I look into getting a lawyer to handle the ins and outs in terms of the filling the phone calls and making the phone calls and making your demands and your wants known. And I would also uh, definitely tweet or leak what the Ravens offer was. Well, whatever the biggest offer was, I would definitely uh, make that known to the national media. Really quickly, the NFL adopted two major rule changes. There's a bunch of other rule changes. Uh, they're on my Twitter and my Facebook. 
um, in terms of the, ma the major rule changes that were occurred, all the proposals and stuff um, that the NFL passed through. Um, but the two major ones that came out with the NFL players are now allowed to wear number zero. So if you remember growing up, um, or growing up for me rather, there was a list of eligible and eligible numbers. Um, you know, if you were an off if you were an offensive lineman, you had to be between numbers fifty and seventy nine, I think. Um, defensive player, whoever they wanted. Um, but offensive lineman was fifty to seventy nine. Receivers was one to um, one to forty nine, and then. Uh, 70, uh, 80 to 99. Um, quarterbacks was 1 through 19. Running backs was 20 to 39. Um, <clears throat> tight ends had to have an eligible number as well. So there was a group of ineligible numbers. I believe it was from 50 to 79 that no one uh, that could catch a pass or handle the ball could have. And it was designed to help the officials identify quickly pre-snap who's eligible, who's not. Because if I see, you know, six or seven guys with their numbers between 50 to 79. I know those are offensive linemen types, they're ineligible more than likely. Uh, now they could be eligible based on linemen, but they're literally wearing an ineligible number. They have since relaxed those restrictions. They're allowing people to wear previously ineligible numbers wherever you want to wear the, uh, the number. It's not as strict. However, NFL players are now allowed to wear number zero. Several stars are switching into the number. Um, Micah Parsons has stated he wants to wear it for Dallas. Um, there's a couple of other players that have openly um, said they're switching, or openly stated that they plan on switching to number zero upon um, it upon next season. So that is going to be something interesting for it to watch. And I was just thinking about college football. Um, not many stars wear zero. Uh, the cornerback that's going out, can't think of his name right now. Um, of Oregon, he wears zero. Um, Darnell Washington for Georgia, the big tight end coming out, he wears zero. Mason Smith, who's a great uh, defense tag at LSU, he wears zero. And Keon Coleman of Michigan State, uh, he wears zero. But not many other people wear zero. Deion Sanders uh, banned the number at Colorado. Because um, he was like, you're not wearing zero because zero means you're nothing and no one's nothing. But he's making people earn their numbers and single digits and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, so it's very interesting. It's going to be weird seeing zero run across the field. Now, zero and double zero was in the NFL previous years and it was banned. Uh, I'm not sure why. Um, but, you know, so now zeros are back in the NFL. Again, it's going to be incredibly interesting to watch. Like I just said, they were in the NFL, then they were banned, uh, and so now they are back. And of course, the big rule, the one that jumped out to everybody else, was that teams are now allowed to have two Thursday night football games. Now going into the league meetings, there was discussion that teams might get rid of them and either get rid of Thursday, not get rid of Thursday night package, but be have basically flex every week into the Thursday night slot, so where like every game be scheduled for Sunday, and then. Depending on how big a matchup might be, a week, two weeks out, the game gets flexed on Thursday. So maybe the Thursday schedule is set for the first month, and then you start flexing games around after that. Uh, flexing Thursday to Sunday, Sunday to Thursday. Uh, like I said, as long as it's so far in advance, it's legal, you can do it. 
as far as the NFL is concerned, but now teams are allowed to have two Thursday night games. This is only beneficial if I play two back-to-back Thursdays. So, like, if I'm the Chiefs and I play the Chargers, if I play, like, the game on Sunday, then I turn around and play a game on um, Thursday, and then I get another Thursday game, that Thursday to Thursday game is like a traditional week, and then I get the week, and I get the extra time off on the back end. But if it's a situation where I got to go Sunday, Thursday, and then I say Sunday, Thursday again, or, you know, some semblance where I've got to go regular week, short week, regular week, short week, that's just, that's hard to do. But Roger Goodell was very open about the fact that he wanted um, as many top matchups in these games as possible, any primetime games, Thursday, Sunday, Monday. Um, he wants as many top matchups in these spots as possible. Obviously, when you're putting your product on a national stage, and you're making it easily accessible to the average consumer. Um, you want your best product on the field so that way people can look at it um, and, you know, decide to fall in love with football like many of us did, I'm sure, listening to this podcast. Several players spoke out against it already, um, saying, like, I thought you could out play a safety, Patrick Mahomes included. Um, so we're going to see how these teams react to these games. Like, who's going to be the first one with the two Thursday night games? I'm sure it's going to be the Chiefs. I'm sure the Chiefs are going to end up being the first team with two Thursday night games. It'll be very interesting to see how they respond to either game, both games, the second game, as well as the first game. Um, like I said, it'd be very interesting to see how um, they will react if a team does get two um, Thursday night games. The Washington Commanders are in the process of being sold, which is why I said it makes a Lamar Jackson um, complication a little bit stronger. The reason why is if Lamar's already on the Commanders, it's easy if he's and squeezy. But offering him $250 million guaranteed that he might accept while mid-sale is a very um, uncouth, risky maneuver to try and pin $250 million in escrow into an account um, for Lamar Jackson. And so the Commanders, like I said, in the process of being sold, um, Dan, Dan Snyder, the lovely Dan Snyder, was um, looking for $6 billion. He has a group um, with Magic Johnson in it, but he fully financed $6 billion offer. And then there's a Canadian businessman with a fully financed $6 billion offer as well. So it looks like the Commanders will go for the asking price. There will be no real negotiating. Um, we'll just see which offer Snyder chooses. And if there's a new group in the NFL or if there's a new solo person. And then uh, New York Jets owner Woody Johnson said that no one is sweating the Aaron Rodgers deal. He wants to get the deal done. Um, This was deemed as a slam dunk two, three weeks ago, even a month ago. Aaron Rodgers went on Pat McAfee and stated that he was 90% retired and that he wanted to play for the, uh, the Packers, but the Packers kicked him out. Um... And so now he's with the Jets, and he wants to play for the Jets, and all, all this other, all this other stuff. Um, but people pretty much was was reveling, myself included, in the fact that the deal was basically done. Like Aaron wouldn't have come out openly on a Friday and been like, "Hey, trade me," and they tried to move on Monday. So just you know, this trade request um, by Rogers had to be something that was in the works previously and um something that he felt incredibly confident about 
about the validity of pulling off uh, such a maneuver because I, I I thought I was working on the assumption that it was done. Um, several other people was working on the assumption that it was done. The edits came out and all kind of stuff um, began to happen as yeah, right after the Pat McAfee show, hell, during the Pat McAfee show, people was Aaron Rodgers to the Jets and then after the show, nothing. He's still a Green Bay Packer. Um, the Jets, as far as I know, are trying to finalize a trade, but the details are just not working out. And when you're in a situation like they are, the Packers have all the leverage because they don't have to play Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron has made it abundantly clear he only wants to go to the Jets. So that kind of puts the Jets over a barrel in terms of they can't negotiate against the crowd. They're negotiating against the wants and desires of the Green Bay Packers and what they want to do with Aaron Rodgers. Also, really quickly, the Falcons made a couple of moves, signing Calais Campbell and Scotty Miller. But up next, we're going to shift to the NCAA tournament and talk about what's going on with the men and women tournament. Welcome back into the show, and now we're going to jump to the NCAA tournament and talk about what's going down. It is Final Four time for the men and the women. It kicks off this weekend. It actually kicks off Friday. Uh, The women go first uh, Friday, then the men on Saturday, then the women's national title games on Sunday, and of course the men's national title game being the last college game of the season will go down on Monday. Um, so let's start off on the men's side. It's been a crazy tournament for the men. Uh, we had no number one seeds in the Elite Eight for the first time in history. Um, all the Blue Bloods are gone. Um, you're dealing with a lot of newcomers. And, you know, so let's start with the matchups first. And I have a theory about why this is happening. Um, and I have, and if I men's Final Four, there's nine seed Florida Atlantic versus five seed San Diego State. Both teams are first-time comers to the Final Four. Florida Atlantic had never won a tournament game. I believe San Diego State had one win maybe in their history, maybe. Uh, But they're both first-time Final Fours, which means one of them will be playing for the national championship, either Florida Atlantic or San Diego State. And then there's eight-seed Miami versus four-seed UConn. Uh, UConn has a national championship in recent memory under Kevin Ollie. Miami has not even been in the Final Four, I believe, in 30 years, if ever. Um, So... The lowest ranking seed to ever win a tournament is eight seed Villanova. So if FAU wins, they'll be officially become the lowest seed to ever win the tournament. Um, UConn has been destroying everybody they play. So UConn is logically the favorite here. However, this tournament has been anything but logical uh, pretty much the entire way through. Brandon Miller played horrible. Um, you know, I said last week, I'm picking, I'm picking and rocking with Alabama because they have the best player. It's pretty much how this tournament works for the most part. The best player at least carries you to the Elite Eight Final Four. Brandon Miller played horrible for three weeks. Finally, he got bounced out um, of their of the NCAA tournament. He played terrible. Now he's still the number two or number three overall pick to me, but he just played absolutely horrible. And 
he's got a lot weighing on his mind. He had armed security due to threats, apparently, you know, revolving him and his uh, case uh, with a young lady. And it's just like, that's a lot for a 19-year-old to deal with. That's a lot for anybody to deal with. That's a lot for a 19-year-old to deal with. Um, and so he struggled with that. But before we dive over to the women's Final Four, which I definitely want to talk about there, um, the men's Final Four. You, you, I mean, look at listen, listen to the teams again. Nine seed Florida Atlantic, five seed San Diego State, eight seed Miami, and four seed UConn. I think this will begin to happen more and more in college basketball, and it will be deemed as less and less of an upset. Here's why: the cream of the crop are not going to college. They're either doing the G League night, they're playing overseas, or they're doing some sort of alternative path, maybe uh, overtime elite. I don't know. They're figuring out a way normally to not go to college. Brandon Miller didn't have to go to college. He could have been a G League Ignite guy. He'd been a top five pick. Um, but when, even when you get these top guys to go to these colleges, universities, they're there for six months. Whether it's a Ben Simmons situation where they just don't care about classes at all. Or whether it's, you know, he's a studious guy. He's, he's only there for 6 to 12 months. He's getting in, getting his serving his year. He's getting out. Um, and so what that does is it, it evens the talent gap out, especially the transfer portal. If I'm the fifth guy on Arkansas, I can more than likely transfer to an FAU and be the guy um, or be the second in command. So it's evening the talent gap out, the top of the top. The cream rounds to the top, that 5% of guys. Think about the NBA draft. The top three picks are Victor and Benyama, who's never played basketball in America, saying those two games against the G League Knight. Scoot Henderson, who plays for the G League Knight. And Brandon um, Miller. Those guys are just in three different worlds. Only two of them are not professional. And they seem to be living pretty great lives. I don't know if they've got to have a good agent telling them what to do. Tell them how to move, whatever. But um, those guys seem to have a great life. There's just no, there's no star power in the tournament. I said it going into the tournament. I said, who's the biggest star? Brandon Miller. Okay, Brandon Miller gets bounced early. Who's it after that? Um, so it's very interesting to see how the stadium even fills up for the Final Four because none of these schools have the biggest fan bases. Uh, I mean, UConn does. Miami does. San Diego State and FAU don't necessarily travel well. These schools are not known for big fan bases. And they're going to be playing at NRG Stadium in Houston, uh, which is the uh, Houston, Texas arena. So it'll be very interesting to see how these fans fill it up. But anyway, back to my point at hand, with, with the cream of the crop, with the creme de la creme at the top, no longer playing college basketball. Or if they're playing it, it's six months, they're not necessarily invested. You get those guys at an FAU, at a San Diego State, hell at a Miami, at a UConn. That may not be the number one player in the country, but they're there two or three or four years. They're tough as nails. They've had talent. They've been through stuff. They may have, like if you're at a FAU, San Diego State, and Miami, you may have been uh, into the transfer portal and hung out in the portal for months before anybody saw you. Um, and in these environments, you are now, you've played three to four years. You're 21, 22 years old. You've been in a conference tournament three or four years. You've been uh, in these regular season matchups and battles two to three to four years. And now you completely um, get 21, 22, 23-year-olds playing against 18, 19-year-old laden teams. 
So these upsets, quote unquote, will happen more and more because now that team of 21 to 22 year olds is playing up against 18, 19 year olds who have an eye, a foot, and a leg already in the NBA. And so I believe these March Madness upsets, quote unquote, uh, now 16 beating a one seed should never happen. Uh, five, uh, two seed beating a 15 should never happen. But these six beat 11s, 12 beat fives, I believe will happen a lot more due to the fact that the talent gap is significantly closer. Um, and so with the talent gap being significantly closer, that coming with age and skill and development, these upsets will come a lot more than we are typically used to seeing them um, in the NCAA tournament. Five years ago, no one had ever, a 16 never beat a one until UMBC beat Arizona. Uh, 15 seeds rarely beat the two seed. You might get one a year, maybe one every other year before recent memory. Now that's beginning to happen. It feels like every tournament. Um, and so that is what, um, that is my theory in general of what's happening in the um, NCAA tournament is the fact that more and more schools, the smaller schools, the mid-majors are getting 21, 22, 23-year-olds who've been in second, third school, who know how to play the game of college basketball, who know how to do travel, who knows how to do the conference tournament. Some even play in the NCAA tournament going against guys who have half their body in the NBA and they're 18, 19 years old. So when they don't get those foul calls and they get frustrated, when they get bumped around a little bit and they get annoyed, that's a strategy older teams want to do is to frustrate the younger teams. They may be more raw talented than you, but if they, if they can't manage their cool and manage their composure, they have no way of um, potentially beating these older teams and trying to show that they that these young guys can win. Like I said, now, will there be a team with a bunch of freshmen on this role people? Sure, because the raw talent takes over sometimes. But these upsets are going to happen more and more because the talent gap is getting smaller. Experience is going to take over, and these smaller schools usually have more experience these days, along with being tough as nails. And then on the women's Final Four side, the stars are out. The stars are out. Um, starting in the first matchup, LSU led by their head coach, Kim Mulkey, Angel Reese, Alexis Morris, Flage Johnson, and the rest of that crew for LSU go against Virginia Tech. Now, Virginia Tech is the only team in this tournament, really, to my knowledge, in the Final Four left, to my knowledge, that doesn't have that star. You know, I just named four for LSU, including the head coach. You go to Iowa, they have Caitlin Clark, who just out, who just kicked Haley Van List butt all of a few days ago, um, giving her a 40-point triple-double, the first one to ever happen in the history of the NCAA tournament, men or women. And then, of course, there's South Carolina. They have their seven seniors. They have the ladies who've only lost eight games in four years. They have Dawn Staley with her uh, third coach of the year and her second back-to-back national title, uh, including a currently unblemished record. So we're definitely going to be looking at South Carolina. Uh, so LSU has Angel Reese, a.k.a. the Bayou, the Bayou Barbie. Uh, Alexis Morris, also known as Lex Luthor. And then um, Flage Johnson. Um, is the star power for LSU along with Kim Mulkey. And like I said, Iowa has Kaitlyn Clark. Um, the women's um, game between Iowa and Louisville, Louisville, I was having Haley Van Lith, um, did two and a half million views uh, on ESPN, which is more than any other, any regular season NBA game has done. It was an absolute show. Kaitlyn Clark put on for her city. 
it was absolutely spectacular to watch. It was one of those things where, you know, it's a where were you when blah happened moments. It was incredible to see. And she got under the skin of Haley Van Lift, who was none too happy in her post-game press conference. Now, the women's side, the gap is still there because the ladies traditionally stay four years. Leaving early for them is after your junior year. So they traditionally stay four years, so their talent gap isn't nearly as shrinking as the men's game. You get one guy hot from three, you can be anybody. You can beat anybody you want in the NCAA tournament. Um, and so that kind of already adds to some of the madness. And then you add in the fact that, again, you're going to get these older teams. You're going to get these veteran teams who've been in two, three schools. Let's say he's 23 years old. He may already have a kid. You know, but regardless, he's 23 years old. He's an adult. And you're going to put him on the court with these 18, 19-year-olds. I mean, actually, you might have. That's how you kind of kind of train up. But anyway, like I, but my overarching point is that these quote-unquote upsets by these senior, junior-laden teams are going to become more prevalent. They're going to become more commonplace. And eventually, people are going to start legitimately picking them in that bracket to see which two seed or which one seed is going to fall before we ever make it out of the first round. But up next, we're about to shift. Uh, just for a quick second, our best for last, to Bronny James' McDonald's All-American performance. Welcome back into the show. Welcome in the best for last, which we'll be discussing Bronny James and his McDonald's All-American weekend, really. Um, he acquitted himself well. He came in by some recruiting services, high as a five-star with a number nine overall prospect with the number nine overall prospect projected draft pick by Jonathan Gavoni. Um, and as low um, as other sites as a four-star, 43 ranked, 43rd ranked. So many people just wanted to see him fail purely because of his name being LeBron James Jr. and no other legitimate reason. Um, but he actually played very well. He showed off his long-distance shot. For those of you who have never seen him play a game, just his highlights, he really is like that well of a shooter. Um, he ended up like, uh, I forgot what place he came in, in Chicago, but he shot the ball well in Chicago. Uh, in the dunk contest, he just missed his dunks at the end. He probably would have won had he got his dunks at the end, but... You know, when you couldn't get that, you can't get scored and all this other stuff. Um, who knows? But he actually had a pretty good game. He was 5-8 for 3, um, had a couple of steals, then a couple of turnovers, nothing major, just an all-star game. And he actually played incredibly, incredibly well. Um, so, huge kudos to Bronny James. Um, he is the highest-ranked unsi- uncommitted player um, right now here, heavy lean to Ohio State. Oregon's also in the mix as well. Um, so we're definitely going to keep our eye uh, on the situation with Bronny and his development into becoming a guy because you know he's going to have to go to college for a year. I don't see him being a G League or an overseas guy, so he's going to go to college for a year, probably Ohio State, um, do a lot of damage there, end up legitimately playing himself into the top 10 and not just uh, lip service for a situation for a guy trying to keep access to me. But yeah, he, he showed a good feel for the game. Bronny did. 
led the offense some possessions, knocked down five of his eight threes, got a couple of assists, got a couple of steals. He was his advertised. He's just really, really good, probably the best two-way player in the class, and he showed it um, last night in the McDonald's All-American game. Now, there's guys on the court better than him. DJ Wagner is better than he is. Um, he was probably one of the worst players out there, but if the 24 best seniors in the McDonald's All-American game, he's probably top 10. He's definitely top 10 in terms of ability. Um, and that projects you out as a top 10 NBA player, which is what Jonathan Gavoni has him. Uh, Bronny reportedly has already made $7.8 million in NIL money before stepping on to the court for collegiate basketball. Um, and so we are going to keep our eye on Bronny James, especially once he enters the NBA. But that is all we have for today. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Remember to follow uh, the social media page and turn on your post notifications at JTime Sports. I repeat, at JTime Sports. And for all your breaking news and updates, make sure you follow as well. Don't forget to like, rate, subscribe, and share to the Just In Time Sports Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. This is your owner and host, Justin Jackson.